This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Lee Jelinek. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Lee, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Hey, Nick. I am honored to be here, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to get going. And one thing that I ask every single guest is, what's one thing people might not know about Lee? It's a great question. It depends how well you know me, but uh, you know, low-hanging fruit in this category would be, you know, if, you, if you know me as a, as a guy that works at a mortgage company, you might not know that uh, hockey has been a huge part of my life. So I played college hockey at Yale. I played a couple of years professionally in, in the minor leagues and, and I love the game and I, I, I still coach my kids or so the, 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 those are my kids that play. I coach and, and uh, you know, my, I spend some time in, in the rink almost every week. So one thing you might not know about me is that I love the game of hockey. Yeah. That, so I, so I got to ask, so I, I played, a, played a little hockey, not, not as cool as you are, but I played a little hockey. So if you, you got a breakaway, so you got a, a sweet pass from the blue line to blue line. You're, you're on a breakaway. What's your, what's your go-to deke? <laughs> it's awesome that you asked that. You know why I'm <laughs> laughing is because in, I was one of those guys, I was a better, I was a better pro player than college player. And I developed a bit more of a scoring touch playing pro. Yeah. I only had one move, but I got really good at it. And it was, I'd come in kind of from the left side. I'd go hard across. I was a left-handed shot. I'd go hard yep. across the crease. Like I was going on my backhand yep. and then I would just power stop and come right back and basically just try to beat that goalie back to the near post and, and actually got half decent at it. So, you know, you might've just literally made my month that you asked me that question. <laughs> Somebody had to ask it. It might as well be me. If this is going to go viral, it's because of that question. I'll tell you the problem with it is though, that I've lost my touch and I can't even score on the 12 year old goalies I coach now. So, you know, Oh man, man, I just, I just, I just, Put the puck down and, and rip it as hard as I could at the 12-year-olds if I, if I had the choice. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. This is being recorded. So, you know, a, some people might not know about United Wholesale Mortgage. So maybe tell us a little bit about that and then a little bit about what you do as the Chief Innovation Officer. Oh, that's great. So, you know, we sometimes say with United Wholesale Mortgage, we're, we might be the largest company largest financial services company you've, you've never heard of. And that's in, in some ways by design and maybe not so much uh, the truth anymore because we, we have gotten so large and uh, we've been in the news a lot lately, but we are, we are a wholesale mortgage company. And so the definition of that is we are a lender and we work exclusively in the wholesale channel. And what that means is our clients are the independent mortgage advisors or independent mortgage brokers uh, all across America. And so when a, when a borrower or consumer chooses to get a loan or a mortgage, a refi or a mortgage on their house, they can usually either go to, uh, they can go to their retail bank or they can go to, you know, Nick's house of mortgages. And uh, so as a mortgage broker, you would have the option to shop for that client at a number of wholesale lenders. And, uh, you know, usually it's going to result in, you know, you've got a number of lenders competing for your service. So it should result in better service, faster service, lower rates, lower costs. And so we're a big believer in the broker channel. And we are a big believer in that mortgage brokers are the best place for uh, borrowers to get a loan. And so 
we've been the number one wholesale lender uh, since two, I think 2015 was the, the first year. So the official numbers aren't out for, for 2020 yet. But yeah, we had been you know, five years running prior to that, and, and we had a great year in 2020, and we expect to be the number one wholesale lender six years running when the data comes out. And so that's our business. We've grown uh, dramatically in the past few years. We hired north of 4,000 people last year, and uh, we are uh, 100% based in Pontiac, Michigan. We've got a wonderful campus here, and uh, you know, we're continuing to grow. Wow. Yeah, that's a whole lot of people that you're you're adding in, in one year. So Again, tell, tell the listeners what, what you do. You know, I know, I know you're not just managing the whole shop, but it sounds like pretty close. And uh, we'll get, get more into that. But what are you doing as a chief innovation officer? Yeah, that's right. You did ask that question. And I totally, I got so excited about mortgage brokers. I just, uh, <laughs> you're still thinking about the deke. <laughs> well, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, I'm actually wondering now if I should have maybe had two different moves maybe that would have been better for my career. But as the chief innovation officer, I, I like to think I've got uh, the best job in the company or the best job in the world. So I, I, I lead a number of different teams. And, and you know, my background you know, prior to, to working here, again, I played a little pro hockey. I spent almost, uh, I spent about four years at JP Morgan, JP Morgan in New York in capital markets as a trader and, and then spent a little over a decade at Ford Motor Company, which I'm sure we'll talk a bit about. But so I, I, my, my experience has kind of led me into this role and I lead our client experience team, which is a, a rather large team here that is everything from our contact center to uh, a lot of our client outreach initiatives and, and some of our, our, our overall uh, client contact portals. And again, we can go in and talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. I also lead uh, a, a smaller but mighty team that, that is our, one of our digital platform teams. And then I've got uh, government affairs and then I'm also helping stand up investor relations. So the plate is full. It's very diverse. And I, and I love what I do. Yeah, that is, that is a full plate. I don't know if all 4,000 of those people that you hired could, <laughs> could take on that role. <laughs> but so kind of go back to your career. You said you spent a large portion of your career working when we had that conversation is working on kind of the traditionally undesirable experiences. So walk us through what those undesirable experiences are. You know, it's funny, and it wasn't really until we got to talking that I thought about it this way. But yeah, I've spent a large part of my, my career working on on trying to make experiences that people normally don't like to do a little better or a little more tolerable, if you will. And, and yeah. you can think about you know, the process of buying a car or the process of get, obtaining vehicle financing or now the process of going through a mortgage. I mean, nobody wakes up every day and says, oh, I want to go spend hours in an auto dealership or hours in a in a you know, finance and insurance department desk within an auto dealership or, oh, hey, I, you know, I want to go get a mortgage today, right? I mean, it's, it's just, these are historically processes that consumers have kind of looked at as necessary evils. And that's, that's over decades in, in the making. And there are plenty of examples of great companies out there that have, that have done some amazing things in the experience realm, both in auto, automotive finance, and, and of course, mortgage and other financial services. And there, there are, of course, other industries that come to mind. But, but for me, uh, you know, I, I did have a chance to work on a key part in the in the life of the Lincoln brand when we as a company were really deciding to uh, invest back into Lincoln and stand it up as, as you know, one of the penultimate luxury brands, not just in the U.S., but but globally as, as at the time we decided to launch the brand in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, again, also, I, I feel very fortunate that I'm at a I'm working at a mortgage company that uh, is takes such pride in, in client experience and evidenced by our net promoter scores and, and evidenced by how satisfied our, our client base and how loyal our client base is to us. 
and, and I really believe in, in all cases, you know, that experience that they go through, uh, and we can talk more about in detail about the different types of experiences you can have, that is one of the most critical elements of a relationship between any sort of company and their customer or client. It's that experience, that transaction between them. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think, was it 2020 when it actually made that switch was people will actually pay more for a better experience. And that's, that's profound. And people, not enough organizations are focusing on that, which is, which is a shame. It's, it's kind of the, the adapter or die analogy is, is, you know, if you're not going to step up and, and provide that experience for your customers and or your employees, you're going to suffer. So I, I have to ask, and it's probably going to be a little bit inappropriate, but is your goal to complete the loop on those undesirable experiences and maybe sell caskets when you end out your career? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about getting into root canals and then caskets. And then I think Perfect. I'd have like, you know, the, I'd have all four quadrants. <laughs> Again, what's interesting about these things now, obviously a casket is a very important decision, but what's interesting about automotive and, and then housing finance is narrative aside about the sort of the historical association of the experience, they are the two or two of the most important financial transaction a person makes. And I guess the casket would be a very important transaction for someone, but not the person lying in it. Maybe yeah. it is, but you know, when I, when I think about it, these experiences are so important to people. They're generally very uh, nervous when they're going through them, especially if it's their first time. And, and again, all the more reason to, to make sure that people feel comfortable, informed, like they have an outlet to get their questions answered. And I feel fortunate that I've been able to, to you know, make a small impact on improving those experiences through my career. So you touched on, on your Lincoln time a little bit. When you were there, you made a big old bet on delivering a unique and differentiated experience. Tell us more about that bet and, and did it work? So yeah, I'll take you back in history a little bit. I mean, you have to think back to Ford Motor Company pre, pre-financial crisis was a house of many brands. Ford had Jaguar, Land Rover, Aston Martin, Volvo, owned a stake in Mazda, had the Lincoln brand, and then also had Mercury. And then of course the, the Ford brand. And so going through the financial crisis, Ford famously was able to get through on their own and not have to ask for a government bailout and, and the, the genius of Alan Mulally and the amazing finance team there. And, and, and so Ford comes through the other side of it and, you know, had made some strategic decisions to say, we need to be a more focused, like many companies in that time, we need to be a more focused company. And this house of brand strategy that had kind of come together in the late nineties and early two thousands, it was clear that that was no longer going to work in the, in the, the reality of 2009 and 10. So, you know, of course, decisions are made to sell off or close brands. Mercury was closed. Uh, Land Rover and Jaguar were sold to Tata. And when, when you really came down and looked at the data and studied sort of the, the migration of consumers, it made a lot of sense to have a luxury brand where the, those base Ford customers could migrate to, right? If they so choose, or uh, you know, there, there was a lot of, we, we studied a lot of our, what our customers had in their garages and a lot of them would have an F-150 or they would have a Mustang, but they would also have a luxury vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so we had Lincoln, it had been around for a long time. It had been a very strong brand for a long time and then had kind of like, like many brands in a house of brands, it had gotten, a, for lack of a better word, neglected and it had become very much like a metro car airport type brand. And so we looked at it and said, no, this is a really important brand for the company. It's a really important brand strategically to keep. And 
then the next question is once you make the decision to keep it, and of course there's a lot that goes into, well, what does it take to invest in, in a brand to make it uh, comparable or put it, put it on a level where it can compete with the Audis and the Daimlers and the Lexus brands of the world. And so we studied all that and made that decision. And we said, okay, well, there's a couple of things we've learned with the luxury customer. And, and one thing was the product needed to differentiate. So the Lincoln product needed to differentiate from the Ford product. That was important. Uh, and then the other though was the experience itself. So walking into a Ford dealership and the experience of everything from what does the dealership look like? The smells, the sights, the sounds, the language, the, the dealership and sales personnel used to greet you, all that needed to be different and elevated with the Lincoln brand. And then, and then not only that, but it's not like there was a shortage of luxury automotive brands. So it wasn't, so not only did Lincoln have to differentiate from Ford, but Lincoln also had to be unique and different from the other more established brands at the time. I mean, Lexus, Daimler, BMW, Audi, all very strong at the time. And, and so it became this almost obsession that we had on saying, in order to be relevant, we have to be very different and prevent a unique and elevated experience that is truly Lincoln. And the more research we did, we found that, man, customers are like, they're yearning for this experience. So, it, it, you know, I, I know that was long-winded, but it, it, it was a walk down memory lane and, and, and you know, it led us to, to, you know, and we can talk a lot more about it, but it was a, it was a really important decision that the brand made. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think that's a, that's a pretty awesome shift that you guys made in, in decision. What, what year was that? So it, it kind of, it all happened, some of the history and the strategy happened kind of, you know, 09 through 11. If you go back in history, you can see that's when, you know, the decision, you know, maybe 2012, but that's when Mercury was closed down and that's when the, the stake in Mazda was wound down. But when it really became cemented that this house of brands from eight years, you know, eight, nine years prior to that was now going to essentially be Ford and Lincoln, that really became finalized in around 2012, 2013. Yeah, that's still early though when it comes to experiences and differentiating. So going back to UWM, and you're talking about the painful experiences typical yep. it, when it comes to uh, buying a car or, or a mortgage or, or a casket for that matter. But how have you guys flipped the script and shifted the paradigm at, at UWM when it comes to being focused more on the customer or the client for that matter? Yeah. And, and, and again, I, I think actually what's, what's really fascinating about this, this dialogue we're having here is, you know, if I, if I just go back to Lincoln for a second, just to, to answer your question, mm -hmm. One of the things we did as a team at Lincoln was we made the conscious decision to say, these are not customers, these are clients. And so it's, it's every little, every little nuance you can do. And your questions may take us back to some of the other things we did to differentiate the actual experience in, in auto. And I can talk about that or in automotive finance, but what's amazing is here at UWM, we have that same mindset. They are clients and you know, that is, this may not be the right solution for every organization out there to say, well, let's just, you know, it's not like something magic happens when you stop calling your customers customers and you start calling them clients. But, but in, in the organizations I've been in, I think it's a symbol of all these little things matter. And there is, uh, you know, it, the little things add up to big things or the inches add up to feet and yards. And that's something that Matt Ishbia says all the time. And, you know, it's, it's kind of something similar that I preach even to the kids I coach. So, you, you start to have these great small habits and they add up to, to bigger outputs and, 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 you know, bigger wins. 
And something like just distinguishing, hey, it just puts your mind in a different place. This is a client, not a customer. So I'm gonna I'm gonna work a little harder. I'm gonna treat them a little better. And you make a hundred decisions like that, and you stick to them, and all the, the entire team buys in. And so, you know, we, we can talk a little more about it. But I don't I don't know if you have any thoughts specifically on that. But but the word client is a really important word to me. Yeah, I mean, if if you go back to Disney, everybody is not a customer; they're guests. And so the reason why, and, and I, I, an interview will be coming out where I interviewed the guy who ran Magic Kingdom. And he says, it's just, it's that paradigm shift. It is the, the fact that how you treat a customer versus treating a guest, they're the exact same person, but you will act different in those little moments and those little moments matter. You're, you're so right. And we've got a, a few of our senior leaders, uh, you know, Laura Lawson, our chief people officer, who's, who's you know, had a huge imprint on our culture here, along with, with obviously with Matt Ishby, our CEO and, and president. Laura has studied Disney and, and she's, she's, she's a very, very big uh, supporter and fan of, of how they, of how they've shifted that mindset over time strategically. And I couldn't tell you that. It, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more that it is. It is such an important and very small thing. But again, when you when you're willing to make that change, you make so many other changes over time that just put you on a different level with how you service uh, clients. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you guys pride yourself on is being the fastest, easiest, and cheapest. But everybody and their mom's going to say that they're the fastest, easy, and cheapest. But tell me more about the the metrics behind it instead of just saying the the high level buzzwords, the marketeering of the world? Yeah, so so here's what I'll tell you. I mean, we we at UWM, there's a couple of things that that we talk about when we ask these kinds of questions. And one is by being laser focused on one thing, we are not trying to be all things to all people. We are 100% dedicated to the wholesale channel. We wake up every day, now almost 8,000 team members aiming to serve independent mortgage brokers, our clients, and provide them with the best technology and service so that they can in turn provide their borrower with a great experience. I mean, so many of these small independent mortgage brokers get their main leads and traffic is from referrals, whether it's referrals from past clients or referrals from from realtors or other people in their community. So our relentless focus has really been on technology and, and giving them technology that makes their job easier and puts them on equal and level footing with maybe the large retail bank down the street. And so they're small businesses. We build technology that puts them on equal footing. And then we provide everything about our process and how we serve them is built around speed. And so from when they call in, every phone call that comes in is answered by a human being. You know, we've created other ways for them to have raised questions to us during the life of the loan that have you know, very specific, measurable, short SLAs and service level agreements for those listening, which is essentially our commitment to our clients that we're going to answer their question, depending on what type, in two hours or in four hours, or we're going to resolve their issue, again, in two hours or four hours. And and for us, some of it's rooted in our pillars, right? We are all about relationships, not transactions. And service, another one of our pillars is service is everyone's responsibility in our company, and so every single person walks through these doors and has pride in the fact that we're laser focused on being faster, easier, and then ultimately cheaper. And it's a combination of the technology we build with a singular focus and the processes and people we have in place, again, with that singular focus. That's a big, hairy, audacious goal of being the fastest, easiest, and cheapest. So it's kudos to you guys. You know, 
by being the fastest season cheapest, do you guys struggle when it comes to customer satisfaction then? Oh, that's a great question. So again, one of, one of the things I'll, I'll say is that, that we, we do set a lot of goals and, and this is one of you know, Matt is an incredible business leader and a brilliant mind. And you know, one of the things he always says is there, there is no reason, there is no excuse not to set a goal. We don't have to hit every goal, but we have to have them because they're going to inspire you to push. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a goal, it's got to be measurable. And so we measure everything and we take a ton of pride in our net promoter score. Yeah, I think our, our average from 2017 to 2020 was, was 87 plus 87, which, you know, anyone who follows uh, NPS in any fashion would know that that is almost unheard of to be at those levels. The companies that are in the best at serving their clients are in the mid fifties. You know, this is a scale that's negative 100 to 100. So mm-hmm. to be at 87 and to sort of maintain at those levels over a long period of time with a company as large as us, it really is remarkable. It's a testament to our people and our process. And again, we, we've built everything around speed. You know, the, the data tells us that we're, we're closing loans from when we get the loan to when it's ready for a board to sign and close. We're about 17 days on average, and the industry is at about 47 days. So in a, again, it goes back to that. Nobody wakes up and says, you know, today I'm going to go get a root canal and, you know, finance my vehicle and get a mortgage, right? These are all generally hard, long processes. We make it faster. And in the, in the process of making it faster, we're making it easier. And, and our clients really appreciate how hard we work to do that. And again, it, it gets measured in our, in our NPS. Man, the NPS at an 87 is ridiculous. Not, not just industry average inside the mortgage. And I, and I don't know what the average is at mortgage, but I, I can guarantee it's not close to an 87. So you guys are doing something right. And, it, and I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. There's organizations that don't necessarily measure or, or send out surveys to everybody. Maybe just the ones that they like or the ones who like them. But from what, what we've talked about, you're, you're sending out that survey to absolutely everybody because you want to you wanna know the truth. Survey goes to everyone. We want to know the truth. You know, and, and of course, like, like, any, like any thoughtful organization, uh, we don't bombard you. So we have clients that send us 10, 20, 50, over 100 loans a month. And so we send out surveys, but then if, if a specific client, once they fill out a survey, we give them like a, a short break. We give them a, a period of time where we don't hit them again, about 30 days. But yeah, but we have 15,000 overall brokerage shops that we're, we're doing business with and, and you know, 45, 50,000 total loan officers. So yes, we are blanketing and we're surveying them all. And we want to know the truth and we study the results and we trend it out relatively quickly on if there are things that are that are going wrong that we can fix, we jump on it right away. Yeah, what's what's the old quote? What what gets measured gets managed. So Bingo. you don't know what it is, you can't improve it. Yep. So when it comes to the client experience, how are you going about measuring the success? So again, I'll go back to the fact that we take it, we take a ton of pride in a human touch. So again, it it starts with just simply measuring whether or not and how quickly we're answering phone calls. So we're getting between 25 and 30,000 calls a day inbound. We answer a human being that is a team member at United Wholesale Mortgage answers every one of those calls. And in most cases, the client's waiting less than five seconds for that phone to be picked up. So we take extreme pride in our team. We call them welcome associates, right? It's even, again, it's a, it's a mindset shift. They're not the call center, they're welcome associates because they're there to welcome to the front door to our clients. So even that team, we're measuring to make sure hold time is within a tolerance to make sure that there's 
a very, very, very small number of calls that are dropped. Like all of those things are measured. And then when we get into it, every client facing team is recorded. And, 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 you know, Nick, what I love about this is I'm not spilling nuclear secrets here. I mean, this is what mm -hmm. any good, any top tier client service, customer service organization in any industry will do. You know, we record the calls. We have teams and processes built around scoring and coaching. Yeah. We, we spend more time with those that are newer to make sure that they, they really understand the expectation. And then all those teams have scorecards and, the, and their, their call performance is a part of it. And so again, if you're only half paying attention, you can say, well, that's not even the business they're in. They're in the business of, in the business of underwriting mortgages and they're focused on the calls and the performance. But again, you're only as good as your, as your last call or your last experience. And we want to leave every single loan officer, every client of ours that we're working with, with that experience. And so we have this relentless focus on making sure that even the call, the human to human piece of that is always top notch. Yeah. When it comes to that, so you have these measurements of success when it comes to client experience. Do you align that then with business objectives and business outcomes? Of course. You know, the, again, just to speak in generalities, right? You're always sensitive about um, competitors listening or whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. but yeah, there's certain phrases we're looking for. Maybe there's a certain play or a certain new product that has been launched or a play that we're running. And, and we absolutely have the ability and wherewithal to measure and say, okay, hey, on, on X percent of the calls that the team members are supposed to ask for business or the team members are supposed to ask if there's anything else they can do, things like that. And then specifically, if, if we've launched a new product, like we had great success this past year, we launched in May a program called our Conquest program. And it was really meant to bring the new borrowers in the door, borrowers that were new to, you know, ultimately to having their loan underwritten and, and funded at UWM. And so you can imagine that whether it's the, the, it's generally the sales team you're looking at it from this perspective that we're measuring. How are they speaking about conflicts? What are they saying? What kind of questions are they getting? And you, you can make, you know, we've got a large sales team. We've got north of 700 uh, you know, AEs, account executives. That's our sales team. And what we are very focused on ensuring that they're at the top of their game at all times. And, and, and that's another thing that I think I can't stress enough in, in any organization that strives to pride itself on, on a great client experience you know, or customer service or whatever word your company uses, it, it, leadership has to be bought in. People have to, to crave the feedback. And we've got to, and again, Matt has done a great job at setting that precedent here. All feedback is good feedback and all feedback is a chance to get better. So a culture of being receptive to coaching and constructive feedback is critically important to ultimately delivering a great experience for your clients. I think everybody should go back and listen to that last one minute section about feedback and continuous feedback. And, and I like the, the phrase productively uncomfortable, because if you're not stepping out into that uncomfort zone, you're never going to improve. It kind of goes back to sports. If you never did that extra workout or you never worked, went in the weight, the weight room, or you never worked on that sweet deke, you would never improve. You would never get better. And the same is true professionally. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I know we're you know, a little, little segue here, but right, it's, it is a mindset when you wake up every day and get out of bed and you can decide that you're just going to do the bare minimum and get through the day. You can decide that you're going to do some things that day to make you better. It might be make you a better father, it might make you a better partner, it might make you better at your job, or it might just make you put you in better shape or make you better at one of your hobbies. But that mindset of craving and searching for the inches and for the ways to improve, that certainly translates over to, to the workplace. And then that mindset is very important uh, 
in leaders of teams. And again, another, another nuance here at our company, our team leaders are called captains. And it is a little bit of that, that sports mindset that we call our, we don't use the word employee here. So again, going back to some cultural things that isn't maybe necessarily primarily right onto client experience, we, they're not employees, they're team members at UWM. And they're not managers, they're captains. His captain is a leader. And so there's all these little things that add up. And my dad always used to tell me, no matter how good you think you are, Lee, or no matter how good you are, there's always someone out there that's better. And you can apply that to this topic today, which is how we're servicing our clients. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to constantly be looking over your shoulder and saying, hey, we're the best today, but there's someone out there that might be doing something better than us. And we got to keep going and we got to work hard and we got to find the next innovation or find the next process that keeps us ahead. For sure. So Lee, I wrap up every podcast with two questions. And the first one is, is what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And you can keep it a customer service or experience. You could, you could push it out and, and talk about some hockey book if you really want to. And then the other one is if you could leave a note to all the customer service or customer experience professionals, what would it say? Oh, Nick, great question. Normally, this is where I would talk about my love for like for Tupac and his lyrics and how he inspired me. And that is, that is no joke. I love Tupac. I love me some Tupac. I usually after a long day at work, I'll pop, I'll pump a few Tupac tunes, but uh, you know, <laughs> not the time to work that in. No, so I think from from my perspective professionally, a, there's a book that I read in I think probably 2016 or 17, and it's called Competing Against Luck by Clayton Christensen. And, and he's, he's written a number of books and, and he's a pretty famous professor of strategy. But if you just think about the title, Competing Against Luck, it, it does imply that there's more that we can control day to day, week to week, month to month in, in, in our life, in our work than we might think. And one of the main principles that comes out of that book is when you're thinking about your, I'm just going to use the generic word, when you're thinking about customers and what they want, oftentimes with your product or service, they're hiring you or your product or your service for a job. And understanding the true nature of that job is really the key to developing that ultimate experience around that product or service. And he goes into some, there's some wonderful case studies in there. He even talks about how one fast food chain figured out that consumers were hiring milkshakes to do the job of a smoothie. And once they had that mindset and figured out that they actually had a whole new category they could invent because their product was being hired to do a job that it wasn't even made for. They were being bought in the morning that serving the purpose of what a smoothie would, and, and, and that, you know, that's a product oriented example more so than service, but thinking mm-hmm. through what, what are you really being hired for? What do you, what is your service or product really there to do? And you put yourself in the mind of the consumer and he goes into great detail on how to shift that mindset. So I would say Clayton Christensen competing against luck, probably a book that uh, has made a huge impact on me in recent years. There is a book called hooked on my desk by Nir Eyal, which is called, you know, how to build habit forming products. And uh, that is next up on my reading list. And I think it's always great to, to get new perspectives. So that was that question. I'll have to go back. I haven't looked at either one of those. One that is talking about habits that somebody had recommended to me is Atomic Habits. I think it's uh, by James Clear. But the other question is, if you could leave a note to all the customer service representatives, it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? It's a great, it's a great, and it's a very, very important question because I think a lot of, a lot of what we do is 
you know, it boils down to, to a few simple rules of thumb. And, and I think one of those rules of thumb that I would leave people with is to have, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to plagiarize our, our president and CEO, Matt Ishbier right now. And I mean, you know, he's got an amazing career in business. And I think one of the things that has made him so successful in his team and his culture is to have a yes mentality. And that is so critical. So I would just leave a note saying, have a yes mentality. And, you know, it's interesting is you got to really break down that phrase because it, it's not saying be a yes person. It's not saying say yes to everything. It's, it's saying have a yes mentality, which means that client, that customer, they're going to want or need something. And, and you as a client service or customer service professional are most likely going to be tested when your customer or client is not happy. And if they're not happy, it might be your fault. It might be their fault. It might be circumstance. But if you have a yes mentality that I'm going to figure out a way to help you, we're going to work together on this. We're going to get to a better place versus the mentality of saying, you know, the, the opposite would be, well, well, we can't do this or we can't do that. Or I'd like to help you. But if you just kind of wash those types of thoughts and phrases away and wash the knee jerk reaction of why we can't do something and think about why we can or what we can do, it puts you as a customer service professional in a better place to help that client. And, and then I think, I think the last thing I would say, Nick, my parting word would be, you know, and this is something that I've personally adopted. I try to live up to every day in my life. And, and this is a lead gel and I'm not plagiarizing anyone here, but this is just something I've lived by is you know, every interaction you have with, it, with a person, it can be an interaction in the hallway. It can be an interaction with a customer. You're going to leave them and it can be a three second interaction or an hour long. You're going to leave them feeling different than they did before. I mean, we're not static human beings. We don't have static emotion. And so make the choice to leave every single person you interact with feeling slightly better than they did before the interaction. Have them leave that interaction either feeling happy, feeling inspired, feeling energized, just feeling good about themselves, smile, ask them about their family. And if you adopt that interpersonal mindset, you know, if you not only adopt that with your kids or your spouse or your team that you work with, but you also adopt that with your customers, you're going to leave them feeling great, even if you can't always help them. And, and I think to me, that's always been the golden rule. That's some great advice. Lee, what's the best way for people to find you or find UWM? Yeah, so UWM, we've obviously got UWM.com and, and that's our website. And we've got a Facebook page as well. And so if you really want to understand what's going on with our company, I think our Facebook page and our website would be the, the two uh, most popular places. By the time this airs, it will now be a public company by the time this uh, podcast is playing. So as a public company, you're just generally going to be easier to find anyway. Uh, <laughs> you'll be able to find our stock trading on the New York Stock Exchange. And then you can find me. I mean, I think the best way is on LinkedIn. And you know, like anyone, we have goals. I think one of my goals this year is to be a little more active, a little more current, a little more responsive on LinkedIn. So hit me up there and uh, test one of my personal goals for the year. <laughs> for all two people that are listening to this podcast, hit Lee up. <laughs> Lee, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. Hey, Nick, it's been a pleasure. Really appreciate you having me. I look forward to doing it again someday. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.